of prayer as we prepare our hearts to, to hear what God has to say. Lord, many of us today come with a lot of things on our minds, and yet, Lord, we're in the habit of, of coming to church, and so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity each week to be able to just take a break from life, to really to, to understand what real life is all about, and that's life lived with you. So, Lord, as we come with those things on our mind and distractions that will arise, we pray, Lord, you give us focus today, not to hear the words of a preacher, but to hear the words of God. So, Lord, help us to remain focused, to lean into what you want to teach us today. We pray that you would soften our hearts, break them in half if you need to, Lord, and pour in what you want us to hear and to understand. Change us today. Pray, Lord, that as we talk about the issue of sin, Lord, that you would help us to see what it does, and Lord, that we would run from it, and we would run straight to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad to see you this morning. I, uh, I notice there is nothing here on the pulpit, so I, I suppose that some of you have decided that saying nothing about my beloved Louisville Cardinals speaks more volumes than saying something. And so I receive that, understand that. As I watched the games this weekend, I, of course, was thrilled on Thursday to see my alma mater, Murray State, whom I suppose we sort of meet on common ground with, win their, their first tournament game in a long time. And uh, I've, I've told a few folks, I was actually... I was in my office watching the game on the internet, and uh, so I was trying to get some work done that day and watching the game at the same time, which, you know, is a little difficult. And if you've ever been in my office, just in case you're wondering, it's, it's kind of through this door and there on the left, and it's in a part of the building that was built a long time ago. And the ceilings are relatively short, which helps for a guy like me, because I feel pretty tall in there, whereas most of the time I just, you know, I don't. But but I was sitting there at my desk, and, and Denaro Thomas leans back and hits that 18-foot jumper, and it goes in the, the basket when the, the horn goes off. And I jumped up from my desk, and I scraped my knuckles all to pieces <laughs> on that ceiling in there. And my dad called, and he said, did you see that? I said, Dad, I'm bleeding all over the place, man. I, yeah, I saw it. And so I've got the scars to, to prove it. How exciting was that? And, and, and then, of course, on, on Friday, I, I watched... Another game that turned out a little different uh, from the very beginning, and and so, and then of course yesterday watched uh, with with Hank, my son. Who, if you know anything about Hank, he's got a very tender heart. But man, he's he's extremely emotional when it comes to stuff like sports and all. He can't understand why Murray State lost, and he's crying. And he says, "Why did they do this to me?" And 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 so, he said, "I wanted to be happy, not sad." And he was. Boy, he was torn up, and so anyway, but you know, watching watching the 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 the, the Louisville game, I, I I just I just thought, can can we just have a do over, please? Just at halftime, let's just pretend the first twenty minutes didn't happen. That was a warm up, and let's start over at halftime, and and just you know, of course, it wouldn't have worked. They played just as bad in the second half, but but I just thought, you know, we just need a do over. Yeah, you remember when you were a kid, and maybe you're playing a game, and you didn't quite like the result. And you just had the, the right to call a do-over at any moment. That's a do-over. It didn't count. Why? Well, it just didn't. 
Just I need a do-over. You know, I mean, I used to do that. If, you know, if I struck out or something, well, I'd call it do-over. Need, need another chance. That's what Louisville needed. They needed a do-over against, against California. It would have been nice just to say, you know what, um, let, let's just start over. And Murray, what did they need at the end of the game? They needed a timeout. Boy, they needed a timeout. 17 seconds to go, they come down the floor, whatever it was, and they, boy, they just couldn't get a shot. Of needed, needed to be able to regroup with the coach and set up a play and say, just timeout, just for a second. We've got a chance here. We can turn this thing around. We did it against Vanderbilt. We can do it against Butler. They needed a timeout. And certainly in sports, you know, you, every once in a while, the team just needs that, that last timeout. Talk with a coach. Get a game plan together. Still a chance to get victory. Other times, the team just needs a complete do-over. Timeout's not going to help you. You're down 19 to 4, whatever it was, Louisville was down. Timeout really might have stopped it for, for just a second, but you just needed a do-over. Every once in a while, we just need that. Sometimes in life, it's, it's a lot the same way if you think about it. Some of you are here today and you say, you know, I just, look, I just need a timeout. Just timeout on what's going on in my life. It's gotten out of control. Things are a little bit against me right now. Maybe, maybe my time is just sort of oozing away or I've just created a mess in my life. I just need a timeout. It looks like I still got a chance in this thing. Let me regroup, talk with the coach, and let's get a game plan together for, for the rest of, of my life. Let, let me just take a, a timeout. And there's some of us here today who we, we really do. We just need a timeout. You already know Jesus. You've given your life to him, and yet you're sort of at at a point where you're down a few points and things aren't quite going your way and maybe you've had some turnovers and, and, and you just need a timeout. You know what, God, can we just talk about this? Lord, help me to refocus just for a minute or two. Lord, I think there's still a chance that, that I can turn this corner in my life, that this, this issue in my life can be overcome. Lord, there's still a chance for my marriage to be restored. God, there's still a chance for my kids to turn around and not run from God anymore. Lord, there's a chance for me to overcome this habit this thing in my life that keeps knocking me down. God, can, can we just take a, a time out? Let me talk with you. Let's regroup. And then there are others of us that are here today. We just need a complete do-over. And I don't have anybody in particular in mind. I'm not thinking, you know what, let me, let me pick that person out and stare at them the whole time and tell them they need to do-over. But let me be honest with you. We, we are born, as we'll see, we are born into a sinful nature, the Bible says, and unless we get a do-over in life, then we will not spend eternity with God in heaven. We will not experience abundant life that Jesus promised here on earth. We'll not experience the presence of God to get us through our darkest moments. We won't experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We won't experience those things in life unless we come to the point where we say, you know what, God, I need a do-over. And every single one of us in here has to get to that point at some time in our life where we say, I, I can't, timeout's not going to cut it. I, I am so far behind, I just need a do-over. And as what I hope to show you today is that the, the do-over comes only through Jesus Christ himself. And each one of us has the opportunity, if you have never in your life turned from that old first half way of living, so to speak, and turn to Jesus for that do-over. Every one of us has the opportunity this morning. Whether you've been in church for 80 years or whether you just came for the very first time this week, I want you to hear the message again that Jesus offers you either a timeout if you already know him. Regroup. Let's turn the page. Let's do this differently. Or a complete do-over.
Because the only chance we have for eternal life, the only chance we have to experience all those blessings I mentioned a minute ago, is to have a complete do-over in life. Not just to work harder, not just to try to increase our field goal percentage or not have as many turnovers, but to completely start over. That's it. And for those of us that already know Jesus, maybe today's your time out. And you hear the truth again one more time. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series that we've called A Crimson Stain. Sort of taken from that song, sin had left a, a crimson stain. Well, boy, I'm glad the song doesn't end right there. But Jesus washed it white as snow. It's just, I, my words, as a side note, my words cannot do justice to the gospel. I cannot fully explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ only because it is beyond, in my opinion, complete human comprehension. Why on earth the God of the universe would reach down and in human flesh take the form of a man and give himself up for us that reject him over and over again. That's the best way I can explain it. Out of his deep love for us and concern for his glory, he rescued us from sin. But I tell you what, I can't explain why on earth God would do that. I just know it's true, and I thank him for that. And one of these days, I might ask him, God, why would you not just wipe us all out? But he says, you know what, out of my grace and love for you, here's your do-over. Here's your second chance. Sin is the cause of all that stuff. Sin is the reason Jesus went to the cross. We're leading up to Easter, the cross and the resurrection. Why on earth did that have to happen? Well, it's because of sin. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked, what is sin? Not a real popular topic. Not the topic that you want to come and hear, hear about at church. Boy, hey, encourage me today, would you? Well, let me tell you, I hope to encourage you by identifying what sin is, what it's going to do in your life if you allow it to continue, ultimately what it requires, and then how it's defeated. And so we looked a couple of weeks ago, what is sin? Sin, very simply, is just rebellion against God's moral law, against what he's said to do. Whether you mean to or don't mean to, you go against what God has said. It's basic rebellion against him. And so we looked at that and how it is, uh, rebellion. And the only remedy for that is to surrender. Last week we saw that the first part of what sin does, that, that sin alienates us from God and from others. That sin doesn't deliver on its promises. promises this incredible life with great fulfillment. And unfortunately, all it does is alienate us. It, it creates distance between us and God, distance between us and others. And we saw that only grace and repentance can restore those relationships. And this week, I hope to show you the second part of what sin does. And I'd like for you to look with me in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. If you don't have any idea about where things are in the Bible, please don't be embarrassed. Don't let that stop you. Today's a real easy one. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. So you open the cover, turn to the right just a little bit, you'll see the book of Genesis. And then go to chapter 3. Now what we've seen so far, the first 13 verses describing how sin entered the world, what Adam and Eve did, the temptation of the, ser the serpent, what happened during all of that, how they tried to blame each other and then blame the serpent for what happened. And so we get today to verse 14 and we'll see here's what God said was going to happen as a result, as a result of their sin. And so I want you to look with me at verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, again, this is after the sin, here's the judgment. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman 
and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. And he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Verse 22, the Lord God said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out, and east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed cherubim with a flaming, whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. So you see here in the end of chapter 3, the judgment that God brings against sin. Now the first thing you've got to notice is God hates sin. Sin is not just a mistake. It's not just, oh, well, doggone it. I wish I hadn't done that. Sin is offensive to God. The Bible says it nauseates him, makes him sick. He cannot associate with it. Why? Because he is perfectly holy in every single way, completely righteous. We stand in the presence of a holy God, and if we stand with sin in our lives, we have offended him. Whether we want to believe that or not, we see here God has some strong words for sin. Sin, as I want you to see first there on the back of your bulletin on your outline if you're following along, sin has incredible destructive power. And these words that you'll write down today, I want to resonate with you and I want you to remember. The first part that we'll see today is that sin destroys everything it touches. Sin destroys everything. Everything it touches. You're writing those words down. Sin destroys. Just let that resonate in your mind today. For some of us, as I said, we need a a time out. We need to take, whoa, hold on just a second. I need to understand what sin does. Time out. And maybe those two words today are what you'll get. Sin destroys. Sin destroys. And it destroys everything it touches. Every single thing it touches. It's like water. If you've ever had water damage in your home, you get a glimpse of the destructive power of sin. Water finds its way into the most obscure places, does it not? Anybody, anybody ever had water damage in your home? You ever, you ever dealt with that? Yeah, a few hands. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? Awful. Just tears up everything, messes up the walls and the floors and all that stuff. Ceilings fall down. It just, it's amazing what happens when water begins to go places. You know, in North Dakota right now, they're preparing, and it may have already hit, they're preparing for flooding. They say it's the flattest land you can think of. It's like pouring water on a tabletop. It just goes wherever it wants to. Water will destroy things, absolutely. It never seems to stop. It kind of finds its way around everywhere. And sin is exactly the same way. Now, this morning, you may be tempted to believe that that your sin only affects you. You know that what I do, listen, it's just my life. Leave me alone. I, I, I understand what you're saying. That must be for somebody else. But look, in my life... What I'm doing, it's, it's not hurting anybody but me, maybe. I mean, it's just, you know, it's fine. But the truth is, 
But that sort of thinking could not be further from what the Bible has to say and further from what common knowledge and common sense teaches us. The destructive force of sin, the consequences of sin are, are seen here at the, the origin of sin in, in Genesis chapter 3. And, and, and this tells us that that line of thinking, that sin only affects me, it's no big deal, is really foolish. Because the truth is sin is never localized. It's never localized just in your life. You're always going to bring someone else into it. Have you experienced that? You had somebody else's sin catch up with you? Well, you've probably been there before. Somebody in your home into something they shouldn't be into, having a wrong attitude or a hurtful way of talking or, or a bad habit of sorts, whatever it may be, you've probably been caught up in somebody else's sin before. You didn't do anything. It wasn't your fault. You, you didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. It wasn't your habit. It wasn't your thing that you did, and yet you're affected by it. Some of you in this room today have been caught up in someone else's sin, and it's destroyed your family. And you say, you know what, I know what you're talking about. That sin, even though they may have thought, you know what, it only is going to affect me. It's not going to hurt anybody else. It spills over everywhere. Maybe you've seen that in your own life as well. And you had a habit or something that you did, whatever it may be, a, a sinful thing that you did, and, and, and you thought, well, it's only going to affect me. And it turns out it affects maybe a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, a church, whatever it may be. It spills over. Sin is never localized. It's always going to affect someone else or something else. And so we understand that from the very beginning, sin has a destructive, destructive effect on everything it touches, on all parts of life. And you'll see there on your bulletin just sort of the, the way that sin affected things in the very beginning, and it's the same today. First is there was, there was some natural consequences. You look in verse 14, and it says, to, God says to the serpent, the serpent's the first one that gets cursed. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Now, we have no way of knowing, did the snake crawl before this? Did he walk on legs? We don't really know, and that's not really the point. The point is, the serpent was cursed, going to eat dust. Who wants to eat dust? Nobody. That's for the serpent. Now, I hate snakes, I'll be honest with you. And I tell my kids all the time, the only kind of good snake is a dead snake. It's the way it is. And, you know, and, and that's some of you are snake lovers, more power to you. You are crazy. But crazy, I'll say it. That's fine. Everybody else is thinking it. You're crazy. Um, love you. But, but snakes from the very beginning cursed, you know. That's why I don't like them, I guess. But no, the point is that, hey, the serpent, who's the one who brought this, this temptation into the world, the serpent now is going to eat dust, sort of foreshadowing here's what's going to happen to those who participate in evil. It's ruined destruction. The serpent was cursed. Not only that, but childbirth is made painful. The lady said, amen, made painful. You know, we have modern medicine today, epidurals and things like that, that, that some of you are thinking, well, I wish I'd have had that. Yeah, you think you're something, you know, you, you should have done what I did. Had 15 kids all natural, you know, and walked uphill both ways, barefoot in the snow to have them. You know, that's the way it was. You know, I, I hear the story. You know, and it's, it's here that we see when, when God says to the woman in verse 16, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Those labor pains are a result of sin. You know, not only is it physical pain in that way of the, the labor, but it's also the mental anguish. We've had three children. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a nervous wreck for nine months every single time. I'm scared to death. 
scared to death something's going to happen to Nancy, scared we're going to lose one of the babies, whatever it may be. You been there? You know what I'm talking about? Some of me, you know, I, I admit that to you up front. That's just the way I am. I don't smile a whole lot during those nine months. I'm just focused, you know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm focused on that, you know. And then, boy, when, you know, when, when things are, are happening there in the, in the delivery room and, and something goes wrong, it's, it causes anguish, nervousness. Some of you have experienced the extreme pain of losing a child. I can't understand what that's like. But you know that, that there's anguish that's associated with that. And God said that's part of the consequences of sin. The ground is also cursed. Now, I want you to understand, uh, just as a side note, that the man and the woman were not cursed. We do not live under a curse from God. Humans themselves are not cursed by God. God loves us and has made a way for us to get back to him. But as a result, the things that are around us have been cursed. The ground. What does it say? It says that the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Sharp contrast from what was before. God places in the garden. And who knows exactly how hard their work was, but it was going to produce extreme amounts of fruit. And instead now, what we experience is we work just as hard for less results. Some of you are farmers. And it's getting to the time of year where you're going to be back out in the field again and planting and, and, and praying for rain and then praying for it to stop raining. And you're going to be back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And and, and it's going to be nerve-wracking, and you're going to work really hard like you do every single spring, and then in the fall, what's going to happen? You're not going to get what you wanted. Now, every single year. Now, listen, my father-in-law is a farmer, and I tell you, he can have the greatest year he's ever had. And this is no slam against my father-in-law, but it's never good enough. Why? Because maybe I could have done something more. Maybe the ground could have been a little bit better. Maybe the fertilizer could have been on at a different time. Maybe the, the seed could have been different. I don't, maybe if we didn't have so much rain, or maybe we had a little bit more rain. The ground is not going to produce what we want it to produce. We're going to work just as hard. You're going to go out this spring if you're a farmer, and you're going to work just as hard as you did last spring, and you may or may not get the results you're looking for. And some years you get it, and you think, man, what a crop. I didn't do anything different than I did the year before. Or this year I really worked extra hard, and I got nothing. Part of the curse of sin. I think it, it spills over into just general work as a whole. Some of you work really hard. There seems to be no fruit from your labor. Some of you just, just work as hard as you can. You've never gotten a raise. You've never gotten a promotion. Nobody ever thinks about you. You're overlooked every single time. And you're still working just as hard. I think that's part of the original curse, that work is going to be difficult, that it's not going to produce the results that it would have produced had there been no sin. It's just part of the curse. Now, that's really encouraging. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to work really hard and get nothing for it. All right. Hey, good job. Thanks a lot, preacher. Appreciate that. But that's the truth, isn't it? And we work hard. Many of us go and pour our hearts into that, and we get relatively little in return for that. Part of the curse of sin. So there's natural consequences for sin. There are also relational consequences. You see from the very beginning, even, even before God presents the, the judgment on sin, what are Adam and Eve doing? They're blaming each other. I, I, just, I, I love that portion of the Scripture because it's just the same as we are today. You know, people haven't changed a whole lot. God comes to Adam, what'd you do? He points to her. Goes to Eve, what'd you do? Points to the serpent. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Immediately, there are relational problems. And I don't have any record of the conversations that Adam and Eve had while they're standing there trying to hide from God or after the curse is put on them. Who gets blamed for what? 
I don't know what kind of words Adam said to his wife. I don't know what she said in return. But you can imagine that times weren't exactly good in their home at this time. They lived once in a perfect world where there was nothing to come between them. Now everything is messed up. And it says in verse 16, Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will dominate you. The unfortunate part of the result of sin is that it creates this pulling in different directions, this desire to dominate, this desire to control in the marriage relationship. You stood there and you got married on that day. and You said, for better or for worse, richer or poor, to love and to cherish. And then about a week later, you're trying to dominate and control. That's just the way that it is. The Bible says there's your result. There's your cause of sin or your result of sin right there. Sin caused that. You got those fights at home. Who's going to be in charge of this? Well, I need my way, and she wants her way, and he Result of sin. Some of you are smiling. Some of you don't want to say anything because you know that's true, and you dealt with it on the way here. I know how, I know how it is. You're going to deal with it on the way back. You're just taking your time out right now. And that's, you know, all right, okay, we'll get along for, all right, okay, we got a few more minutes. We'll just get along, and then we're going to go after it again because that's just the way that it is. You don't have to work at not getting along in a marriage. Is that true? You got to work to get along. Why? Because they, you know, the other person wants to, to change and control you, and you want to change and control them. And you're not really trying to do that. You're just being gracious with what you know that they're doing wrong. So might as well tell them, help them out a little bit, be a better person. Isn't that the truth? Those problems began. That's right. Thank you. Those problems began back in the Garden of Eden. Those relationship problems. Later, these problems spill over. If you know anything about the rest of the story in Genesis, you don't have to look far to find the results of this sin spilling over into the children of Adam and Eve. What happens in chapter 4? The first murder in the Bible. Between who? Brothers. Relational problems began because of sin. You can trace, guarantee you this, you can trace every single relationship problem you have to sin. Your sin, their sin, somebody's sin, sin of your grandfather or grandmother or somebody. I don't know who it is, but you can trace it to sin. Guaranteed. Somebody got selfish. Somebody desired to dominate. Somebody said, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. Somebody said something they shouldn't have, did something they shouldn't have done. Whatever it is, you can trace it back to sin every single time. And I would imagine that as Adam and Eve are raising Cain and Abel, Understand that a lot of times the influence parents have, as you well know this, influences their children. Well, they had a, a, a child killed the other. Imagine their parenting was a little tough. Imagine they had a, a trouble getting their arms around and controlling their kids a little bit. Their sins spilled over. And it's the same today. Our immediate families, our, our marriages, our siblings, the extended family. Some of you have problems today. Some of you don't speak to certain people. Some of you get together at a family reunion and all you do is eat and that's it. You go home and... You, you know, and you don't talk. Why? Because relational problems. Caused because of someone's sin, most likely. There are also psychological problems. Natural, relational, psychological. The scripture records, it says, The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. How encouraging is that? You're going to struggle. You're going to have issues in life. Your mind is going to play tricks on you. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be depressed from time to time. You're not going to like the fact that you've got to get up and do the same thing over and over again. That's just the way that it's going to be. There are psychological repercussions because sin is in the world. Some of you have experienced that. 
Some of you deal right now with major issues, either in your own mind or in, in somebody close to you. And we have, we have just this darkening sometimes of our minds because of sin. There are consequences for it. There's psychological things all the days of your life. How encouraging. So now we're subject to depression, to disbelief, to believing lies, in fact, to being blown back and forth by just whatever we hear. It's not supposed to be that way. Originally, there were no psychological problems, and sin entered the world and messed everything up. So there are natural, relational, psychological consequences, also physical consequences. What was God's promise to them if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You will surely die. I mean, a physical consequence. Now, they didn't die immediately, but what happened? They were removed from their source of immortality, which was what? The tree of life. So they're thrown out of the garden. You see at the end of chapter 3, death, although avoidable before, was now certain because they had no access to what would keep them alive. And so they will surely die, the Bible says. They're going to face illness. They're going to face disease. I wonder if they even knew when God said you'll surely die. I wonder if they even knew what death was. Had they seen anything die before? Had they experienced that? They found out quickly in chapter 4 what death was. And Cain murdered Abel. Figured it out pretty quick. The truth is, each one of us, as you well know, will die one day. Percentages are pretty good. You're going to die. Boy, this is just encouraging. Some of you are like, golly, can we go to lunch? Listen, it, it'll be, it'll, lunch will be good. But the truth is, 100% of us, one out of every one, you want something to bank on, make an investment in that. Hey, I bet you what? I guarantee you. Everybody in here is going to die. You'll win that bet every single time. Now, you'll be dead. You won't be able to spend the money. But every single one of us, every one of us, why? Because of sin. Well, hold on just a second. Now, you're telling me that, that somebody who just passed away in the last few weeks, they died because of their sin? Not necessarily. It's because of sin, period. Why is it that we don't have access to that source of immortality, that tree of life anymore? Why? Because of sin. They were thrown out of the garden. Some people, obviously, they... they they speed up their death because of sinful habits or sinful behaviors. The truth is that we're all sort of caught up in that. We say someone died of natural causes. What's the natural cause? Sin. We all die because of sin. It's just the way it is. If there were no sin in the world, we'd have no disease. But we see that. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you go out and sin today, that immediately it's over. But at the same time, we all know that one day, we will all die. None of us escape it. We're all born now with a variety of things, diseases, illnesses, and so on, that ultimately cause our death. So there are physical consequences. And then, worst of all, there are spiritual consequences. Worst of all, I say, because death, though it may take your life from this world, doesn't have to be the end for you. The spiritual death that we experience is really what we need to be concerned with. These folks here, Adam and Eve, driven from the presence of God, there's now distance between God and us. Their spiritual life would never be the same. And we're now all born into a spiritual death. We are dead spiritually when we are born. Well, wait a minute. My little kid, he's great. Yes, but he's spiritually dead. And he needs a Savior. And one day when he recognizes that and comes to that age where he can understand that, we need to be telling them, look, you, we love you. But let me tell you, you need Jesus in your life. You cannot 
Wake yourself up spiritually. You cannot bring yourself to life spiritually. It's only through the grace of God. This battle for spiritual supremacy in our lives has raged ever since this. The Bible says there will be hostility between you and the woman talking to the serpent. Good and evil will always fight. And so now we experience upon our birth spiritual death. The Bible says what in John chapter 3? That unless a person is born again, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, you, you are born physically and then you have to be born spiritually. Because we're born dead spiritually. We have to be reborn, the Bible says. Today I hope that we get to the realization that all of us are sinful. That all of us have made a mess in one particular area or another of our lives. Maybe blatant sins. Maybe subtle sins. Maybe things everybody knows about. Maybe things nobody knows about. But all sin, blatant or subtle, all sin destroys any thought, any word, any action, any attitude that doesn't conform with God's standard is, is sin, and it will destroy something or someone in your life. And so we've got to be honest about what it is. We've got to be honest about what it does, and then stop it in its tracks before it destroys someone or something or destroys us. And some would say, well, you know, not, not me. Listen, I I understand what you're saying, and I've got some people in mind that I'm probably going to tell them they need to go and listen to this message because they are just sinful. Let me tell you about them. Some folks would say, well, not, you know, not me. Listen, I've cleaned up my act pretty good. You don't understand. I, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture um, from what's known as the message. It's a, it's a paraphrase of the Bible, but I think it, it sheds some light on this whole idea of, well, maybe not me. Maybe, maybe somebody else, but maybe not me. Maybe we're face-to-face -face this morning with this truth. Romans chapter 3, you'll see it on the screen behind me, puts it this way in the message. As I said, this is a paraphrase, beginning in chapter 3, verse 9 of Romans. So where does that put us? Do the Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start... Excuse me, start out in an identical condition, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year. Litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. Don't they know the first thing about living with others? They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it? That whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us, to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity Everyone else's sin. Well, Paul puts it just as clear as he can. We're all in the same boat together. None of us can say, 1 John says this, none of us can say, I, I don't have any sin in my life. He says you make God out to be a liar. Even though you may be a Christian today, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. That just means you've been forgiven. It just means you have now access to Jesus. But all of us enter this world with a propensity to sin. All of us enter the same way. And so I want you to get this truth. 
Sin destroys. And then the good news is this, that only Jesus, only Jesus can clean up the mess. You're writing down those words, sin destroys, and then what? Only Jesus. Sin destroys, only Jesus can clean up the mess. We get a hint of that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where it hints toward one day evil will be destroyed. There's going to be someone come from that woman that will destroy evil. Jesus fulfills that in the New Testament. We understand that only Jesus can fix our problems. Paul would go on to say that, that I know I've made a mess of my life, that each one of us through our sin has destroyed things, and only Jesus can clean up the mess. You can work as hard as you want, church. You can be as good as you want to be. You can try every trick in the book. You can go to every person you can and try to make things just as smooth as possible. And eventually you're going to sin again. And eventually you'll mess it up again. I do that, you do that. Only Jesus can clean up our mess. Paul says, I've made a mess. What's the answer? The answer is a person, Jesus Christ. As we close today, I, I want to close as we've done before, just with a, with a song that you'll see the lyrics to and, and you'll hear on the screen. And, and I think this speaks to our need today to say, you know what, Lord, it may not be obvious to everybody else, but you know in this area of my life, I've made a mess. God, my attitude stinks. Lord, I've done some things that are not right. I see the effects of my sin. They're causing problems. I know that only Jesus can fix it. And as you listen to the words of this song, maybe you just make this your prayer. After we get done with this song, we'll close and sing a song together and then be out of here. So I challenge and encourage you. Let the, the words of the Lord sink in. And if there's a mess in your life that's created because of sin, then go to Jesus today and allow him to fix it. Won't you listen to the words of this song? My prayer today is that some of you will have the courage and humility and boldness to admit, you know what? I'm Murray State. I need a timeout. There's still hope. You still have breath in your lungs. You can regroup today. Only Jesus can do it for you, but it can be done. Or maybe you'd have the boldness to say, you know what? I don't want to associate myself with Louisville, but I see a lot of Louisville in me today. And I need, I need a do-over. I just need to give my life to Jesus. And I, I want the mess cleaned up. And maybe today you'd say, you know what, Lord? I need a do-over. Would you, would you clean up the mess? You cannot enter heaven, the Bible says, without a do-over. You can't enter heaven without giving up control of your life and receiving the free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus alone. And you'll never experience what God has planned for those who love Him, those who believe in Him. You'll never experience that without the occasional time out to say, hold on, Jesus, clean this up. Don't leave here today thinking, I'm just going to try harder. Don't do that. Leave here today having thrown yourself onto Jesus. He's the only one that can clean it up. And so when you fall into temptation this week, remember these words, sin destroys. Sin destroys. And when that happens, remember these words, only Jesus. 
Don't try to work harder. Don't try to do better. Just come to Jesus. Maybe this morning as we close, you'd say, you know what? Would you pray for me? Would you just spend a minute and pray for me? I've made a mess of some things, and I want to see Jesus clean it up. I'd be happy to do that. I'll be standing down here in just a minute as Randy leads us in a closing song, and I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to pray by yourself and just say, Lord, I need a do-over. God, I need a timeout. Jesus, clean up the mess. I'm not naive enough to think that just because we get dressed up and put on smiles that we're not a mess. Some of us are. I've dealt with this stuff all week long, having to ask Jesus, clean up this mess and this mess and this mess in my life. Would you do it again? Maybe you'd come and you'd pray at the altar this morning and just say, Lord, I'm going to get on my knees before you. Whatever it is, don't leave unchanged today. Don't leave without asking Jesus to clean up the mess. Won't you pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful that even in the midst of our sin, even though we're born into it, Lord, and we come into this world, we can't help but do it. Would you give us a chance for a complete do-over, for salvation? Lord, that salvation is not just for eternal life, but God, it's for life of, of power and victory here on earth. So Lord, today, help us if need be to take a time out. To turn back to you to say, Jesus, clean up this mess. Lord, for those who have never given their lives to you, never placed their faith, never believed that you are truly the Son of God, the only one who could die for our sins to give us eternal life. Lord, I pray that you'd help them understand the need for a do-over. Lord, help us be a church that receives your grace and your mercy. And even when we do sin, that we just come straight back to you. Help us to see the destructive power of sin, but... Lord, even more so, help us to understand the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Lord, as we respond this morning, I pray that you give us boldness and courage. We ask these things in Jesus' name.